Absolutely. I started on the Lord's Prayer two weeks ago, and the series is called Back to Basics. And uh, I mentioned the fact that the whole reason the Lord's Prayer even came up in the first place was that Jesus' disciples were watching him pray, and when he had finished praying, they said, you got to teach us how to do that. I mean, you think about it. Here Jesus is walking around, and he's praying for people, and miracles are happening on a regular basis. I was so excited this morning. Uh, one of our elderly members, Haiti, uh, was able to come to church. Her son wasn't working. He drove her to church. But she came with her sister, Flora, who's from out of state. And Flora came five years ago. She expected it to be her last visit to her sister because she had had a stroke and was partially paralyzed. They took her license away. She couldn't drive anymore. She couldn't stand on her own. She had a walker frame uh, with wheels. And uh, she had lost pretty much uh, 80% of the use of her right side. Uh, even her speech was severely affected. And five years ago, she came to pay her sister what she thought was her last visit. And uh, Haiti brought her to the seniors' lunch that we have uh, every other month. And after the lunch, it's just, a, it's just a fun time, you know. We just, we eat, it's very casual. Uh, but how many of you know it is natural to be spiritual and spiritual to be natural? And so in the midst of just being normal people, having fun, uh, Haiti says to me, my sister Flora wants you to pray for her. She quickly gave me a rundown. I put my hands on her, and as soon as I finished praying, Flora got up from the seat. She started a walk. Her eyes got bigger and bigger. She was amazed. She was walking unaided, and eventually she was running around the room in there. She went home, got her license back. She is, uh, how old does she say, 86? I think she said she's 86 now. She's driving. She is walking on her own, totally healed, totally, totally recovered, and that's five years after she got healed. Come on, give God a big round of applause. So here's Jesus' disciples. They see him praying, and they had been watching all of his results. People were constantly being healed, lives being radically changed. And they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now these guys knew how to pray. I've said it before. In that Hebrew culture, as part of the religion, every young boy by the age of 12 had to have memorized word for word the first five books of the Bible. Uh, that's pretty tough going. I mean, that separates the men from the boys. And it was a sign of having stepped into spiritual maturity. These guys knew how to pray, but they didn't know how to get results like Jesus got results. And they're saying, we want you to teach us how to pray. Uh, when I started this message on the Lord's Prayer, uh, I put a phrase up on the screen. We're going to put it there again. And I did it with a purpose. It says perspective is really important because it helps us to focus on what really matters. Perspective is really important 
because it helps us to focus on what really matters. And the reason why that statement is relevant to the Lord's Prayer is this. We treat the Lord's Prayer as something we memorize, and then we just repeat it verbatim, and that was never what Jesus intended. The Lord's Prayer focuses or it brings us to focus on particular points so that when we pray, our mind and our spirit is in the right focus and it enhances our prayers to be much more powerful. Now, for example, I'm going to quickly review the few points we made over the last two weeks and we're going to jump right into the new points that we are going to discuss for today. So, uh, point number one, we found that we start with our focus on God because it keeps the mountain in its right perspective. Jesus said, have faith in God and then speak to the mountain. We get full of the mountain and we talk to God about the mountain. No, Jesus said, Get in connection with God, have faith in God, fill yourself up with God, and then talk to the mountain. The beauty of this is that the mountain gets put in its right perspective. And we will start to see the mountain the way God sees the mountain. It's nothing but a pebble. Hello? Look, what's a mountain to you and me? Mount Everest is just a pebble. God put it there. To God, Mount Everest is just a pebble. And so we have to remember that whenever we're looking at a mountain in life, the greatest crisis maybe we've ever faced before, you take that thing and you put your focus on God and you get into God. And when you get into God and you fill yourself up with who God is, you can turn around and you'll look at the mountain through God's perspective. That's the first key to praying powerfully. The second point was start your focus on the fact that God is your daddy, okay? So start with your focus on the fact God is your father. It keeps your relationship with God in the right perspective. He's not your judge. He didn't come to have a relationship with you as a judge. He came to have a relationship with you as a daddy who really loves you and cares about you. Now, if you'll remember... When Jesus said, our Father, the word our in the uh, Greek language is the word ego. And according to my Greek dictionary, it's only ever used in an emphatic sense. So in other words, when you write, do you put an exclamation mark at the end of every sentence? No. You only put an exclamation mark when there's something to exclaim, something to get excited about. And so here's Jesus, God in the flesh, talking to his disciples, and he says, when you pray, don't just focus on God, focus on the fact that he is your daddy. I want to be personal with you as a father relationship. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And when we start from that perspective, we focus first on God and then we focus on the fact that he's not just the God of the universe, he's my daddy. Everybody say, he's my daddy. He's my daddy. 
He doesn't just want to be the creator of the universe who hangs planets in space like little marbles. He wants to be your dad. And he wants you to have the awareness he is your dad. And he's personal to you. Point number three, start with hallowed be your name. And we read last week and found out that the word hallowed means to hold in great respect. So you start with hallowed be your name regarding God with great respect. It keeps God in his right perspective. He's God. Honor him and revere him. Point number four, start your focus on the fact that the kingdom of God has come. So many times we read the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, and I point it out. It sounds like we're hoping, we're begging, God, we need you. I can't wait till your kingdom comes. And the word ekomahi, come, is in the present tense and the imperfect tense, and it always means your kingdom has come, and therefore we are still benefiting from the effects of the fact that your kingdom is here and now. Isn't it a good thing to be able to pray and start your prayer life with the acknowledgement all of the kingdom of God is in you, all of the kingdom of God is around you. It may not be around everybody else, but when you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, it came with the entire kingdom of God and all the power of that kingdom is with it. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. It's a good thing. It's a phenomenal thing. And so we make the declaration, your kingdom has come, and your kingdom is flowing in my life. We focus on the fact the kingdom of God has come, and the power of the kingdom of God is being unleashed all around us. Number five, we focus on the fact God's will in heaven is happening in my life on earth. So many times we get focused on what the devil's trying to do. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a declaration. I said a couple of weeks ago, one, that there are two types of prayer. There's the prayer of petition, where you're asking things, you're asking God for things, and then there's the prayer of declaration, where you are making declarations. When Jesus was talking about prayer in Mark 11, he said, speak to the mountain. That's a prayer of declaration. So many times our prayer life is about the problem. We have conversations about the problem. No, our prayer life is meant to consist of having conversations with God, about God, and then after we've had a parlay with Him, and we've been mano a mano, face to face, we've been in His presence, we turn around, and like Jesus said, we speak to the mountain, and we tell the mountain to go. That mountain could be whatever crisis or circumstance that you are facing in your life. And so when Jesus said, make the declaration, your will is being done in my life as it is in heaven, because the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is now, if God's kingdom is here and it's in you, can anything but the will of God happen in your life? No. And so 
when we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are making the declaration today in my life, I declare, and I'm putting every demon on notice and every evil force on notice, God's will is happening in my life today the same way God's will happens in heaven. Come on, church, can I get an agreement? Absolutely. What a great way to focus when you start to pray. Focusing on these power points, powerful points, absolutely. Uh, and then number six, when Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, point six, focus on the fact that God's promises are your daily bread. Every promise in God's word is meant to be your breakfast. Every promise in God's word is meant to be your lunch. It's meant to be your dinner. What am I saying? The same way God appeared in the wilderness every day for the Hebrew people, and he brought them manna, a supernatural substance. The Bible says it's bread that angels eat. And he would bring them manna every day. And he said, don't only get enough for what you could eat today. Don't get enough for tomorrow. Because if you do, it'll rot overnight. Because what I'm trying to do is establish with you the fact that I'm going to show up in your life every day. And I want you to trust me enough that you will only gather enough manna for the day because you believe I'm going to be, I'm going to show up tomorrow because I am Jehovah Shammah, I am the Lord your God who is present. That's one of his names. Another name for God is Jehovah Jireh, I am the Lord who will provide for you. And so God was taking the Hebrew people through an experience with him. They were in the desert of unbelief. They had not entered the promised land because of unbelief. And God is saying, we're going to fix this problem. Every day, morning by morning, you are going to see my supernatural interventions in your life. How many of you want to see God's hand happening in your life every day? This is part of the promise. And too many times religion preaches the Bible and with the exclusion that miracles aren't for today. I want to tell you, miracles are for every day. They're not just for today, they're for every day. And so when we declare, give us this day our daily bread, we are actually declaring in the Lord's Prayer, God, because your kingdom is here, your kingdom is now, and the power of your kingdom is around me, I declare that the devil's will is not happening in my life today. The devil's plans for my demise are not happening today. The devil's plan to take me down is not happening today. Today, your will is happening in my life just like your will is happening in heaven. Therefore, today, I declare I will have God's daily intervention in my life and I will eat the daily bread of his promises to me. Come on, give God a round of applause. We're going to jump into today's message. It changes direction just slightly.
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus says the next part of the Lord's Prayer is this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now that's how Matthew writes it. Luke writes, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. It's interesting, Matthew was a debt collector for the Roman Empire. And so he wrote from his perspective. Every day he kept a journal of the citizens of that region and who had paid their taxes to Caesar and who didn't. And some people had a column of great indebtedness. They owed several months worth of debt. And then Caesar's boys would come and they were the collection agency and they were pretty rough and gruff about it. And Matthew was the guy who kept the tallies. And so from his world, from his life experiences, he says, God, forgive us our debts the way we forgive our debtors. We, we owe it to you and we owe it to life to be forgiving and to erase and expunge other people's mistakes towards us. And the way we do that, we expect you to do it for us. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, I want to pause. The very first verse before this is give us this day our daily bread. It seems a little bit odd that Jesus goes from talking about day-to-day interaction, day-to-day God's hand stepping into your life and giving you supernatural provision. And the next thing he says is, now forgive us of our sins the way we forgive people their sins. And while it seems like a disconnect, These two points are actually connected in a very, very real and relevant way. What? Let me point this out. Um, What's amazing is that no sooner God tells us to make the declaration that we're going to live by God's supernatural intervention, he reminds us to declare Forgive me my sins the way I forgive others. Let's pause for a second. I don't want to put the attention on you. Let's put the attention on Rob Scarallo. I don't know if every day I really want to pray, God, forgive me my sins the way I forgive everyone else. In fact, when I think about this, before I say those words, I'm going to put my prayer on pause and I'm going to have another prayer and I'm going to start thinking about the people who have offended me and I'm going to say, God, I forgive Kathy. She didn't say amen loud enough when I was preaching. (laughs) I'm trying to think of something ridiculous because there's nothing I need to forgive you of. But you see, the Lord's Prayer is a call to focus Everything Jesus says is a focus point that helps us to get things into right perspective so that our prayers are powerful. And what's interesting is he goes from today, 
I will live with your supernatural intervention in my life. Today, I will eat from the promises of your word. Today, I will receive my daily bread. Now, Lord, forgive me the way I forgive others. Very interesting. If this doesn't catch your attention when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, nothing will. I don't want God to forgive my sins the way I forgive other people's sins sometimes. Because sometimes I'm slow to forgive other people of their sins. Now just very quietly and very discreetly, Move your elbow below the top of the chair here and nudge the person next to you and say, I think he's talking to you. <laughs> I think we could all agree that sometimes forgiveness doesn't always flow from our heart. Sometimes it's harder to forgive certain people, especially there are certain things that are harder to forgive. The Lord's Prayer is a call to focus. Every point is a point where God's saying, come on, get this into focus so that you'll have powerful praying. Well, it's very interesting that he goes from make the declaration, today I'm going to eat my daily bread. Today, God's promises are going to happen in my life. Today, God's going to intervene in my circumstances, next point, and oh, by the way, forgive me of my sins the way I forgive everyone else. You see, what's really interesting is that the two are very, very, forgi- are, are, the two are very, very connected. If you want to walk in the power of God, you have to walk according to the principles of God. And so one moment he's talking about God's supernatural intervention in our lives and the next moment he's saying, by the way, uh, when you're praying that and declaring God will supernaturally intervene in your life, I want you to remember this next line because it'll help you get everything into alignment. Uh, And by the way, God, forgive me the way I forgive everyone else. I don't know about you, but when I read that and when I pray that, It helps me to be a lot more forgiving of everyone else. If God... (laughs) You're absolved. (laughs) If God is going to forgive me the way I forgive everyone else that interacts with me, then I want to make sure that I'm forgiving everyone a whole heap. You see, it calls us into focus. If I want God's supernatural intervention in my life, I have to live according to God's principles. And if I want God to forgive me, I have to remember God will forgive me the way I dish out forgiveness to everyone else. And if I'm stingy or slow or begrudgingly forgiving of other people, that's how God will deal with me. You see, there's a biblical principle that says, what you sow, you will also reap. Okay? 
And so here in the Lord's Prayer, one minute he's talking about the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is now, it's in me, the power of God is working, uh, therefore uh, God's will will happen in my life today and the devil's will will not happen in my life. That's why I could expect God's supernatural intervention in my life every day. I'm eating my daily bread and all of a sudden there's the screeching of brakes. Get this in a focus. Forgive me the way I forgive others. And while I don't always want to pray that, what that prayer helps me to do, it helps me to forgive everyone a lot faster yes. than I normally would. Yes, we like to hold on to the right of being offended. And the right or the privilege to be offended is the very thing that loses, causes us to lose the right to the power of God. Isn't the devil sneaky? My right to stay offended. It's my right to be angry at you. And my right to be angry at you gives the, the enemy the right to harass me. You see how the Lord's Prayer brings us back into focus? Perspective is important because when we have the right perspective, we can focus on what really matters. The Lord's Prayer calls us back into focus. Yes, as born-again Christians, we want to acknowledge the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. God's will is going to happen in my life today. Devil, you don't have entrance into my life. You're not going to sabotage me. God's will is going to happen in Rob Scarallo's life the same way God's will is happening for the angels in heaven. Therefore, today, God, you're going to intervene. The moment I need you, like a good neighbor, <laughs> Jesus is there. I can <laughs> I'm sorry. Father, forgive me, that was bad. I can expect God's interventions in my life. And then he very subtly says, okay, and now the next part of the prayer to help you stay in focus. God's going to forgive you the way you forgive everyone else. Can I ask you a question? Let's take a quick survey. How many of you feel right now like forgiving everybody? You know, that statement, forgive me my sins the way I forgive others, is a call to reality. It's a reality check. And not only that, it's a call to action. I need to do something. Because if God is going to forgive me the way I forgive everyone else, I want to be the most forgiving person in the world. I want to be gracious. I want to be kind. You know, judgmental people harbor offense. If you tend to be judgmental, listen to me, and please don't get offended. There are certain things that go hand in hand. And if you tend to have more of a judgmental nature, you will hold on to offenses. And while we sit in the position of a judge and we are angry at a person because of what they did. And I'm angry at you, Bill. And I, you know, I'm, how could you have done that to me? 
And as I sit arrogantly in that place of judgment and hold on to my right to be offended by you, I lose my rights as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I open the door to demons to have their will in my life. So interesting how Jesus goes from your kingdom has come, your will will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Therefore, I will walk with God's supernatural interventions in my life. And by the way, God, forgive me the way I'm forgiving everyone else. Quickly pulls us back in a gear. Quickly pulls us back to the place where, you know what? I need to write somebody a letter and apologize or forgive them. You see, the Lord's Prayer really does help us to focus on the things that we need to focus on. I, I want to point out something else. I said to you when I first started this series, the Lord's Prayer is mentioned in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 11. Those are the only two Gospels that actually record the Lord's Prayer. But when I started this series on the Lord's Prayer, I threw in Mark 11. And I said, the reason why I'm throwing in Mark 11 is because Mark 11 is probably, other than the Lord's Prayer, one of the most powerful teachings that Jesus gave on the subject of prayer. How many of you remember me saying that? A few? Gee, I thought I was doing better than that. <laughs> How many of you remember me saying something to that effect? And I talked about the mountain, right? Okay. And the reason why I paired Mark 11 with Matthew 6 and Luke 6 is because in Mark 11, when Jesus is explaining why he could talk to a fig tree and tell it to dry up from the roots, and the next day, it was dried up. And he's explaining, guys, that's not a mystery. Have faith in God Start with God and then turn to the mountain and you'll have the mountain in the right perspective. Talk to the mountain and tell it to go. And if you don't doubt it in your heart, it will happen. I paired these passages of scripture because the Lord's Prayer starts with our daddy. And Mark 11, the key to powerful praying is start with your focus on God. And so I showed you, point one, focus on God. Point two, focus on the fact that God is your daddy. But that's not the only reason why I paired Mark 11 with the Lord's Prayer. I want to show you something else that Jesus says in Mark 11. And what's fascinating to me, Gina, is that here are the two occasions where Jesus teaches on how to have a powerful prayer life. Both sermons are totally different. The sermon on the Lord's Prayer was one set of circumstances. His disciples saw him praying. They said, show us how to pray. This other sermon, they had just seen Jesus curse a fig tree the day before, and it happened. And Jesus voluntarily at their amazement, teaches them how to pray effectively. 
And in both of these situations, when Jesus is teaching about powerful prayer, he also talks about the need to forgive other people who have offended you and hurt you in your life. Let's go to Mark 11. I'm going to read it to you. Mark 11, verse 22 to 25. Jesus says, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. A very important key to prayer. It is useless to pray and then walk away hoping that God heard you. Jesus said, when you pray, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. In other words, the declaration, I am healed, happens before I physically get the healing. The declaration that I'm going to break through and have an over, I'm going to overcome this scenario, that declaration happens before the reality transpires. All right? So Jesus teaches us that faith calls things that haven't happened yet as if they've already happened. Okay, now follow me. He goes on and says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Next verse. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. By every account, the only time that Jesus touches the topic of prayer and how to have a powerful prayer life, in both instances, two separate sermons, one moment he's talking about the miracle of a mountain being thrown into the ocean. The next moment he's talking about if you have anything against someone, forgive them so that God will forgive you the way you forgave them. In the Lord's Prayer, he's telling them, come on, make the declaration. God, your kingdom is here. Your kingdom is now. The power of your kingdom is with us. It's flowing in my life. Your will is going to be done in my life today because your kingdom is here. I'm in your kingdom. Today I'm going to experience your supernatural healings when I need it, your supernatural provision when I need it, your supernatural protection when I don't know I need it. Your will will be done in my life. And by the way, forgive me of my sins in the same way I forgive everyone else. Guys, this is not a coincidence. This is paramount to a powerful prayer life. And the two are extremely connected. How many of you can see they are very connected? Now we're going to put a little saying that I wrote up on the screen. God is saying your daily bread is your right. But if you want to walk in my power, you have to walk according to my principles. 
See how the Lord's Prayer pulls us back into focus? Focus on the fact the kingdom of God's here. Don't pray, oh God, let it come. It's here. It's now. When you're praying, make that declaration. God, I thank you. I live in your kingdom here. I might live in the United States and the economy might be tanking, but I thank you, God. I live in your kingdom here in the United States. And irrespective of what happens in the world around me, the world that is in me is going to keep me afloat and keep me victorious. The rights of your citizenship in God's kingdom are yours. It is your daily bread. Every day, God wants you to believe and expect that he will show up in your life and do the most incredible things. He did it with the people of the Hebrew people while they were in the desert of unbelief and Every day he sent manna and every night he sent quail to prove he's the God who wants to show up in your every next day. He wants to be Jehovah Shammah, but by the same token, he wants us to walk according to his principles. So point number seven in the Lord's Prayer is this, as Z puts it up, focus on the fact that God forgives your sins the way you forgive others. How many of you are going to leave here today and forgive somebody? All right. Matthew 6, 13 and Luke eleven four both say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I have a problem with this verse. I'll be very honest with you. There aren't many verses I have a problem with the way they read. The way this one reads, I have a problem with it because you could be mistaken to believe that Jesus is inferring that we're supposed to ask God, please don't lead me into temptation. And I have a theological problem with that. And you learn in Bible college, one of the things we teach is that when you are interpreting scripture, no scripture anywhere from the front cover to the back cover can ever contradict itself because God doesn't contradict himself. If God were to contradict himself, he himself would be a contradiction. God's word is truth, and so everything must flow. And sometimes it's not that God's word contradicts itself, our interpretation of what that verse says is not correct and therefore we find the contradiction. When I find a scripture like this here, I think to myself, that must mean something different than how it's reading in the English. How does this read in the Greek? Okay? Because God doesn't tempt us. And so when I look up the word lead, lead us not into temptation, and I look at the Greek word for lead, the word is aisphero. And it comes from two Greek words, ice and phero. And the word ice, if we could have the next screen, 
the word ice is the word to or into, and the word pharos means to bear and to bring forth. Every woman who's ever had a child bore the child, and you bear that child until you bring it forth. So from within you, it comes out. Is that correct? I want to have my theology right, but I want to have my biology right too. How's my biology doing? Am I right? Maria, you've had two children. Did you bear them? Maria, did you bear them? And did you bring them forth? And voila, we got uh, Victor here in front of us. Evidence at some point you bore him and you brought him forth. Okay, phedos means to bear or to bring forth. The connotation to this word, lead us not into temptation, can be to bring forth from within. What does that mean? If we were to put this back into scripture, this is how the verse could read. And help me not to be led into temptation from within, but deliver us from the evil one. Does that make more sense? God's never going to lead you into temptation. And let me prove it to you by backing it up with a scripture. In James chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, the apostle James says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and are enticed. These are some of the tools that we teach in Bible college, how to interpret scripture. We can look at this written in Old English, lead us not into temptation. But when we go back to the Greek, we find it can have another connotation, which means, and God help me not to be led into temptation by the things that are already inside of me and deliver me from the evil one. You see, there are two aspects to temptation and falling into temptation. Number one, it starts with something that's already in us, a thought a resentment, an unforgiveness. If I refuse to forgive you and I keep dwelling on it, dwelling on it, dwelling on it, sooner or later, I will start to begrudge you. I will start to treat you inappropriately. I might even use a few choice words that wouldn't be the Lord's choice words. Why? I, I don't know, you see. It's sin. And so sin starts inside of us with something that we don't forgive. Sin starts inside of us with thoughts that we start to desire. God said to Cain, Cain had a problem with his brother Abel. And Abel had a pure heart. And so everything Abel did, he did it with all of his heart and he did it unto God. Cain was always cutting corners. And so what happened is when Cain would worship God, he would bring some of the fruit of the ground, 
when his brother Abel would worship God, Abel would bring the firstborn from his flock and he would get the best of the best of the firstborn and give it to God. Major attitude difference. So Abel would notice that Cain kept getting blessed. If you're going to live in your relationship with God and always give him your leftovers, don't be surprised when you are passed over. Hello? This is where we have to hallow God, revere him, honor him, respect him. He's not just my neighbor. He's the creator of this universe. And I need to do things right by him. And so Abel would bring God the best of the best. Cain would cut corners and give God the leftovers. And then Cain starts to notice he's got a bad attitude towards God. Then he starts to notice God's blessing his brother but not blessing him. And resentment starts building up in his heart towards his brother. Where the focus and the attention needs to be on Cain. He needs to be focusing on himself. So just like the Lord's Prayer, where the Lord's Prayer help us, helps us to focus on the right things, God taps Cain on the shoulders and he says, Hey, Cain, sin is knocking at your door. You need to conquer it or it will conquer you. You see, the enticement to sin will start with the thoughts that fleetingly go through our mind and we grab it and say, hang on, let me think about that. And then we entertain it. And when we entertain it, it ceases to be just a thought. It now goes from the mind of your intellect and connects with the mind of your emotions. And now both your thoughts and your emotions become united. And when they join together like that, they give birth to desire. Hello? Yeah. And so James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil or wrong desires and enticed. What you don't deal with in your mind, you will have to deal with in your mind and your emotions. And when your mind and your emotions become connected, they are much more powerful than just a thought in your mind. That's why we have to be quick to deal with the thought in the mind. The moment we start entertaining it, we'll get emotional about it. And the moment emotions and thought combine, they are a stronger force than thought alone. And the union or the junction or the intercourse of your thoughts and your emotions will give birth to something. And it'll give birth to desire. And when desire is there, the union of thought and emotion, it is even more powerful. Now here's the problem. We are tempted by things we did not deal with inside of us, but you also have an enemy. And while there is a hot ember inside of you of the wrong type, 
a wrong kind of desire that you're burning with, whether it's resentment, prejudice, anger, unforgiveness, whatever it might be. On top of that, there is an enemy who comes and he will set up circumstances and fan to flame the ember or the coals of wrong desires. So Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, Father, deliver me or lead, help me not to be led into temptation by the things that are inside me and deliver me from the evil one as well. How complete is that? I mean, he just ties it all together perfectly. It's the sin that starts inside of us that we didn't deal with, and it's the enemy who's only too willing to fan to flame and to bring the circumstances together to aid and abet our wrong desires. Turn to somebody and say, that was a good point. Okay. So I said this verse could read, help me not to be led into the temptation from within and deliver me from the evil one as well. Okay. Here's another interesting point. Are you all with me still? Yes. I'm about to conclude, but this next point is so powerful. It, yeah, you already heard it this morning in the first service. This next point is so powerful. In fact, it is so powerful that if you actually make this a principle in your life and act on it, it'll be transformative. So a few moments ago, I connected your daily bread, God's supernatural interventions in your life, together with forgiveness. And I pointed out that in two times that Jesus teaches about prayer, two separate sermons, but both times when he gets to the supernatural action of God in your life, he immediately follows it up with, and if you have anything against them, forgive them so that your Father in heaven can forgive you. And I made the point that if you want to walk in God's power, you have to walk according to God's principles, Amen. right? So I made a connection between your daily bread, God's supernatural intervention in your life, and forgiveness. Now I'm going to make a connection between forgiveness and temptation. I don't know about you. I don't need more temptation than I face as it is. And there is a connection between forgiveness and temptation. And I want to show it to you. I want to point it out to you from Scripture. Okay, are you ready? Okay, that's only three people. That, that means i got to start from the top. How many of you want me to start again from the top? How many of you are ready? <laughs> it works every time. <laughs> we want to get out early, Pastor Ron. All right. The same way forgiveness and daily bread are connected, so is forgiveness and temptation connected. Here we go. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, 
you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Stop. I'm going to ask you a question. It says, if anyone is caught in a sin, how many of you go around interacting with people looking for where they're messing up? Anybody here? You go around looking to see where people mess up? Because if you do, I'm going to make sure I will have a wide berth. <laughs> I'm going to steer clear of you, buddy. <laughs> I got enough people who look for faults in me. <laughs> Been there, I know. Uh, so, generally speaking, we don't go around looking to catch someone in sin. So why would Paul say, if you catch someone in sin? Most often, you and I will catch someone in sin based on how they are relating to us. A person responds to you angrily or they start judging you or they perceive and assume you did this, this, and this. And so they react in a wrong way to you and you catch them in sin. And so what Paul is saying here uh, very, very clearly and powerfully, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore them. When someone sins against you, can you genuinely restore them and restore the relationship you have with them if you don't forgive them? No. Would you agree with me that forgiving the other person would have to be the first step in restoring them? Yes. On any level. On any level. Let's say someone is caught in a sin, but it's not in relationship to you. You hear about a fellow brother or sister in the Lord who slipped morally. They fell. They lied. Maybe they cheated someone out of money. They gossiped. Whatever the scenario might be. And you happen to hear about it. You're brought into the circumstance. The Bible says if you catch someone in a sin you should gently restore them. Let me ask you a question. If you're brought into a scenario and you're told about someone else's sin, can you gently restore them if you can't forgive them? No. Are we agreed? Yes. You really need to find a place in your heart to be able to forgive them so that you can gently restore them. Yes, Forgiveness is part of restoration if there's no forgiveness there's no restoration listen when we ask Jesus in our heart it starts with forgiveness and then God starts to restore our lives is that right okay so watch brothers and sisters if someone is caught in a sin you who live by the spirit should restore or forgive that person gently but watch yourselves or you may be tempted also. You see, here's the point. We're going to put it up on the screen. Z, what you won't forgive in someone else, you'll likely be tempted in yourself. What you won't forgive in someone else, you'll likely be tempted in yourself.
Jesus said, judge not or you will be judged. You see, when we choose not to forgive, Isaac, if I choose not to forgive you and there's nothing I need to forgive you of, but if I were to choose not to forgive you, I've made a judgment. And in my judgment, no, I have every right to be angry at you and you don't deserve forgiveness. And the way I judge you, I will be judged. You see, there's a principle of reciprocity in the things of God. And that is that how you deal things out is how you will be dealt. And what you won't forgive in someone else, you give the enemy the legal right to set up the circumstances so that you're in the same circumstance and he's going to pull the same strings on you that he pulled on the person who fell that you won't forgive. Wow. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's not talking about me, he's not talking about me. How many of you can see the reality of this principle? The things that we can't forgive or won't forgive in someone else, somehow, I don't know how, but I've been counseling for a long time. And in mother-daughter, mother-son, father-daughter, father-son, mother-in-law, father-in-law relationships, Uh, neighbors, brothers, sisters, I see this all the time. And the very thing that a person refuses to forgive another in, within a period of time, and it might be a year, it might be six months, it might be a day, it might be three years, but sooner or later, the enemy will craft the same circumstances around your life and pull the same plug. What this principle teaches me to do, it teaches me, number one, the way I forgive others is the way God's going to forgive me, so I'm going to be a lot kinder, a lot more gracious, a lot less judgmental, and I am going to be very forgiving. Number two, when I catch someone in a sin or I'm brought to the knowledge of someone's mistakes, Instead of being judgmental, I'm going to be gracious. I'm not going to ask myself, how could they have done that? Shame on them. They know better. That's the position of a judge. I am not the judge. God is the judge. Now, you heard it from me. I want to hear it from you. Repeat after me. I am not the judge. God is the judge. You see, the point to forgiveness is this. Anything anybody else screws up in, so can I. And so I want to be merciful. I want to be graceful. I want to be generous in kindness and understanding. Just off the cuff, let me ask you, if the whole world operated just on this one principle, do you think it would be a different world? The words of Jesus are transformative. It's as tight as I can make it. Okay. The words of Jesus are transformative. And just this one principle by itself, 
would change the whole environment and the face of the world that we know. The world God wants to change is the world of you. And so the Lord's Prayer calls us back to focus. And it's very important to understand that forgiveness is integral to living a powerful life with God. Can I get an agreement? Amen. All right. So point eight is focus on the fact. Just lost it. I just pressed a button, Pastor Carlos, and I think I erased. Oh, here it is. Okay, point eight. Focus on the fact that God isn't the one who tempts you, but he is the one who give, can give you the strength to overcome. And remember, what you don't forgive in others, you open yourself up to, to be tempted in. How many of you think that's a good thing to focus on? How many of you think that if we focused on all of these points every morning and prayed the Lord's Prayer, not repetitively, but we prayed it in our words, focusing on these points, how many of you think you'd have a better day? How many of you think you'd have a better life? How many of you think that if just the Christians around the world did this every day, we might have a better world? You know, we always want the world to change. And God says, wait a minute, if my church changed, it would affect the rest of the world. Yeah. It's like paying it forward. If we get it right and we do it God's way, others will be inspired and they'll do it too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so I read you point eight. Matthew 16, and I close with this. This is the end of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus concludes his prayer by saying, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power and the glory forever. And what does that mean? Quite simply, if we put point nine up there, we're, what we're focusing on is we focus on the, fat, on the kingdom of God, not on the devil's kingdom. So here he is, he gives us all of these focus points in this prayer, and then he concludes and he says, now, Focus on the fact yours is the kingdom. We make the kingdom of darkness the big deal. Oh, what the devil's doing. Oh, the problem is so big. And we make the kingdom of darkness the big deal. Jesus says as you conclude your prayer, come back to where you started and focus on the fact and say, God, yours is the kingdom. The kingdom of darkness doesn't even rank. It doesn't rate. It doesn't even get a rating. It isn't even in competition. Yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. God, it's not about what the devil's going to do. I'm not going to fill my mind thinking about what demons are doing. I'm not going to talk about this scenario, that scenario, and how bad everything is getting. I'm going to make the declaration, if there's any power, it's your power. And your power is at work in my life. And thirdly, in that last point, he says, and yours is the glory forever and ever. And what that means is, it's still point nine, let's go to the next slide. Focus on the miracles, the healings, the deliverance, the provision. 
Your daily bread reveals God's glory. Every time a miracle happened in the Gospels, every time Jesus prayed for somebody, every time he did something supernatural, what did the people do? They gave glory to God. Because God's supernatural intervention in our lives causes us to be in awe of him and give him praise. And so in the conclusion of this prayer, Jesus is saying, focus on the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of darkness. Focus on the power of God, not the power of the enemy. Focus on the miracles, the healings, and the deliverance, and the provisions, God's interventions in your life, because those are the things that reveal God's glory and know that it's never, ever going to stop. Yours is the glory forever and ever and ever. Every time the glory of God shows up, it's showing up in a miracle. It's showing up in a life transformed. It's showing up in a healing, in a deliverance. It's showing up in an answered prayer. And Jesus says, yours is the glory. In other words, your miracles are going to keep happening in my life forever and ever and ever. And that's the way it is. Amen means that's the way it is. It's coming into agreement with God the Father. Praise God. How many of you got something out of the message today? These principles are powerful. I often say that the Word of God is full of principles. The religious mind reads God's Word and sees it full of do's and don'ts. And it loses the power of what's written. When God writes, when God speaks, he's revealing the principles of how the spirit world works in the natural world. How many of you want God's spiritual world to work in your natural world? Amen. And principles release the power of God into our day-to-day -day living. The sooner we learn God's principles, the sooner we will flow in harmony with the power of his kingdom. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Amen. If I could give a quick analogy. Before the Wright brothers learned the principles of aerodynamics, before they learned them and harnessed them, for thousands of years, men looked at birds flying and dreamed of flying, and some believed they could to the point where they would fabricate what they fabricated would look like even birds' wings and put feathers all over it. And they would jump off a cliff and often to their death. They didn't understand the principles that govern this realm. And if you don't understand the principles, you'll never reach the highest height that you can reach. And if you abuse the principles, they will abuse you. While men for thousands of years dreamed of flying, they never did. Until two brothers learned the principles of aerodynamics. And once they learned it and harnessed it and revealed it, 
Man's been flying to higher and higher and greater and greater heights ever since. We have rovers on other planets. What's my point? The parallel is this. When we learn the principles of God's word and we harness them, those principles will take us from glory to greater glory, from one victory to a greater victory. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Would you stand with me? I hope you never ever just recite the Lord's Prayer as something to be memorized. I hope that you will always remember that the Lord's Prayer is a call to focus. Jesus was bringing up pertinent points so that we would focus from God's perspective so that we could pray powerful prayers. God wants you to live like a son of God. He wants you to walk in victory. He wants you to overcome the negative frailties of your mind and the negative frailties of your emotions. And he wants to dress you in the king's garments. He wants you to live on earth different than everyone else, having victory, having hope, expecting the favor of God on your life. Jesus didn't come into the world to forgive us of our sins and then leave us living like beggars. Jesus came into the world to forgive us of our sins so that we could be born again and this time born again as sons of God. Amen. The Lord's Prayer is a focus and a call to help us pray from a position of power. Amen. That's my prayer that this message will stay with you. Listen, every week I go to the YouTube channel, Grace and Faith YouTube channel, and this is what I know. When I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit will flow through me, and at times I will say things that I did not previously even think about. So every week, I'm the preacher on Sunday, and during the week, I become the congregation. I take the effort. Look, I spend four, five, sometimes eight hours putting a sermon together. And then I spend two Sunday services in a row, two hours back to back, an hour each, preaching it. And yet, during the week, I will sit down and be the student. And listen to the word of God. Why? I want to harness the principles. Do you know it's possible for me to be the preacher and preach all these principles and then never harness them? Just like you, I don't want to just hear the word. I want to harness the word of God. I want to harness the principles of God so I can live like God intended me to live. I encourage you, during the week, I had a lot to say. Find time. Sit down in front of the YouTube channel and listen to it. Let the word of God really get inside of you because faith comes by hearing 
and hearing the word of God. It's repetition. Hearing and hearing the word of God. Today you heard, hear it again. In the middle of the week, sit down, hear it again. Not because I want you to hear me, but because I want you to grab hold of the principles of God. Can I get an agreement here? Amen. Amen. Every eye closed. As we get ready to leave, all of this is possible for one reason and one reason only. God really loves humanity. As broken as we are, as messed up as we are, as much as we still make mistakes, he loves us and he cares about us. He doesn't want to be the judge in our life. He wants to be the loving, caring, understanding dad in our life. And if you never had that kind of dad, he wants to break that cycle and be that kind of dad to you. This morning, there's only one way to step into this, and that's by being born again. You were born once in a natural world to natural parents. Jesus said, you must be born again. You must. You need to be born spiritually so that now you have a spiritual parent, Daddy God. Whether you've been baptized in a Baptist church, a Catholic church, a Presbyterian church, let me tell you right now, water baptism isn't what saves you. Being branded by a particular religion doesn't save you. All that does is give you, gives you a religion Religion often will do more harm than good. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Religion can't give you that. Religion can tell you about him, but religion can't give you the relationship. Relationship has to be between two people. God so loves you, he's waiting. The question is, will you open your heart and say, yes, I want relationship with you. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord to come in and have relationship with you, irrespective of 20 years in the Baptist church, Catholic church, or 20 years in grace and faith, all of that, while it's good, it's not enough. Relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, and today you want to invite Christ into your heart, you want to have relationship with God the Father, come on, while every eye is closed, would you raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, I want to let Jesus take control of my life. In the first service, I looked around and I thought, yeah, now everyone here is saved as far as I could see. And then there were three people I didn't even notice. They had raised their hand. I'm going to wait just a couple more moments. Religion doesn't cut it, but relationship will. It's what it's all about. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, one last time, raise your hand. Okay, 
Now I'm going to pray over you. You sons and daughters of God. Father, you put this word on my heart. You put these thoughts, you broke this down, you helped me to preach it in a way I've never heard it preached. And I appreciate the fact that you've emphasized that the Lord's Prayer is really a call to right focus, focusing on the right things. I pray for this congregation. I pray for those that are here right now, and I pray for those who are here. And I ask that just like I need help, I ask you to help them. Be with them every day. Help them to step into the focus of this prayer and help them to pray from this perspective. Help me. Help all of us. Because God, I know it's your desire that every one of us becomes fully mature in the image of Jesus Christ. And it's your desire for your sons and daughters to walk in the power of your presence and the power that you have given us. We were never meant to be beat up, never meant to be squashed, never meant to be broken, never meant to be stepped on by the elements of this world or the circumstances. So dad, I pray. Your kingdom is here now. And let every one of us understand that reality. And let the power of your kingdom flow in our lives, through our lives, and around our lives. And I declare today that your will is being done in our lives. Our focus is not on what the enemy can do, will do, or is doing. Our focus is on the fact that as it is in heaven, your will is being done in our lives today. And therefore, we declare, today we will eat manna even in the desert. Today we will experience the supernatural intervention of you in our lives. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Praise God. How many of you got something out of that today? Did that minister to you?